my 2.6 hours of sleep. Time to get another day started. Let's start out with some social posting. Now, I'm not sure who did this, but it masterfully captures the sweeping, cinematic, spectacular presence that my opponent, good old Lion, uh, Lion Joe, brings to office with him. And hit set. By the way, thanks South Carolina for coming out to vote today. And now, from Times Square, it's that Kevin Show. Somewhere in the bowels of the city that never sleeps. Kevin McCullough, radio host with Salem Media. Is a man also not sleeping. Syndicated radio talk show host Kevin McCullough. And that guy would like a word with you. Many of you know him from as Lotus Fridamas. Of course that Kevin show is going to be great. The only thing that could be greater, of course, would be that Donald show. But we don't have that, so we have that Kevin show. Featuring the music of Dick Tunney and the Dream in Color Orchestra. Tonight, making America great again, Fred Flights and Mary Jo Ginchar. Enough already, says Carol Markowitz of the New York Post. Times Square tripping and Trump doing stand-up. Plus, Gaius believes while Thomas doubts Joey Vahidi and Kirk Waller from The Chosen. And for the first time ever, Justin Timberlake in the spotlight. From Times Square, where a confused Nikki Haley was last seen handing out Vote For Me leftover stickers, here's the... about who should be the nominee that can win a general election because nothing gets fixed if we lose. And that's what this is all about, is we've got to look at the fact that 60% of Americans think Donald Trump's too old and Joe Biden's too old. And we have a country at stake. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the weekend. It's a big one in South Carolina tonight, as expected. President Trump beating Nikki Haley once again. But you just heard her there. She doesn't think that this is about winning elections. She keeps talking about winning an election that she's not winning the right to get qualified to be at yet. It's kind of backwards, isn't it? I mean, it's one thing. So she's been running around on the campaign trail for the last number of weeks, touting this poll that came out sometime last year that said 70% of American voters don't want Trump. They don't want Biden. No, they want something else. And she thought that she could be that something else for those people. It's a pretty understandable strategy a year ago when the poll came out. Um, But she's still touting that poll, and it is obviously clear. So for the fact that the voters are uh, speaking loudly about their uh, particular desires in this situation, it should not come to anyone's surprise that she didn't do well tonight. Until you win, you're not doing anything. And she lost in Iowa, came in third, came in second in a two-person race in New Hampshire. She lost 
the Nevada caucus, which she didn't compete in for some reason, and it was the contest that had the delegates. She lost in the Nevada primary, which she did compete in, even though it didn't have delegates. And she came in second to a category that said none of these voters. Now she's lost in the Virgin Islands, and now she's lost in her home state. And next week, friends, it's Super Tuesday. I mean, it's all on. This is the, well, we've got Michigan in between, and then you've got Super Tuesday. So the game is rolling, but her mindset is that she's still in this. And, and I just got to say, and I've been saying this for a while, that after tonight, Nikki Haley needs to shutter the campaign, get on board, be a Republican, do what she can do to help win the election in the fall, because she does have sway with voters. She does have a certain uh, sliver of the population that she influences. There's, there's good that she can do for her nation. But if she says, well, I didn't win, so I'm taking my ball and going home, then she's not going to even be a spouse. She's not going to be living up to the ideas and values and everything else that she's engendered uh, thus far on the campaign trail. And it's very interesting. I've got some uh, right of center friends that, uh, you know, have kind of uh, taken to this idea that she, she is going to be like the savior of all of this. Like she's the future for the Republican Party. I don't, I don't think from her political standpoint, she's old-time establishment. She is big, big warmongering foreign policy. She, she does have some similar approaches to economics and things as though Trump does. But Trump is the one that rewrote the entire canon for the Republican Party. It is a working-class party now that is interested in helping the working man and woman get what they need out of their life, keep government out of their life as much as they can, and help them see a better day. But there's big challenges. You've got the economy, which is not improved. You've got national security, that's a big issue. You've got the southern border. You've got education and the woke agenda in the public schools. These are all things that she could help influence voters on uh, for the general election because she knows that President Trump's policies on all these things are going to lean in a direction that uh, the, the Biden administration has fought hard against. So tonight, Nikki has a chance to do the right thing, to hang it up and say, not my time. It is time to make this a contest of ideas, a genuine contest of genuine ideas, ideas that put America first, that say we have American exceptionalism, we need to reinforce the values that we, that we are built on, or America last, which is what you've had for the last three and a half years and the reason why so many people are doing so poorly. These two, these two sets of ideas are going to be now on the ballot come November. Nikki Haley can play a role in helping the America first ideal be put forward. She can actually uh, play a significant role in helping undecided voters come to the table. But if she continues to tout this, you know, they're both too old and we, and I'm the only 
answer to all of it, which clearly the voters don't don't want. Clearly, in all six or seven contests that she's now lost, plus the one she lost that Trump wasn't even in, she's lost everything. She's she just keeps losing. Anyway, that's uh, thoughts on what's going on in um, South Carolina tonight. Now, last week, we gave away our first That Kevin Show coffee mug. Tonight, we are drawing another name at the top of our two, and I want you to stick around because if you've registered, if you've sent your registration to register for a chance to win, uh, you, your name could be drawn tonight in just after uh, the 10 o'clock hour East Coast time. That's coming up in hour two. Now, the reason you might want to register to win a coffee mug anyway is we're going to give one away each week for the rest of this year. So if you didn't win this week and you registered, you're still registered. You could win next week. And on the weekend of July 4th, we're going to draw a name of those that have registered thus far to win a $1,000 cash prize from that Kevin show uh, payable to you as the winner. Um, if you have registered for the mug contest, we're going to give away a mug every week. You're going to have a chance to win a mug every week. Beautiful. We got the, the white with the black logo and we've got the black with the white logo. Um, we've got both kinds. Y your chance to win that every week, every Saturday night, right here on that Kevin show. But the other reason you might want to register is that you could have a chance to win the $1,000 drawing uh, of the um, of those who have mugs. And um, it's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to celebrate America's birthday by giving someone $1,000. All right? Get registered. Here's how you do it. ThatKevinShow at gmail.com. ThatKevinShow at gmail.com. ThatKevinShow at gmail.com. That's where you go to win and register to win and be included in the opportunity to win all coming up. I'm Kevin McCullough. So glad that you're with us tonight. Huge show, by the way. Did you see that, that guest list? Oh, my goodness. We get started with America First Very Own Fred Flights coming right back after this first break here on That Kevin Show. a few classified documents between friends. I told you, I told you all the time. I knew it. I knew he had some too. Here he is, that Kevin, Kevin McCullough. And welcome back uh, to Times Square. Kevin McCullough, glad to have you with us at That Kevin Show. Always very entertained to uh, uh, learn about the condition of national security. Uh, I'm, I'm always wanting to make sure that 
Uh, I kind of have a grasp of what's going on, can tell you about it, but I much prefer to bring in the people that understand it a lot more. And my next guest has done that on several different levels. He served the former president, Donald Trump. Uh, he was also chief of staff, the National Security Council. He is now the vice chair of the, Ameri of the America First Policy Institute's Center for American Security. Ladies and gentlemen, please put your hands together and welcome Mr. Fred Fred, thanks for um, all that you're doing and all that you've done. Um, there's a lot of hot spots on planet Earth right now, and they weren't in existence when the Trump administration left office, uh, and they don't seem to be improving as much. Let me start with the uh, area of Iran. Um, we are seeing them be more bellicose than ever. They are attacking ships uh, in the strait. They are, they've come after our people. Uh, we, I feel like, have had an insufficient response uh, to their aggressiveness. Um, from where you sit and from your knowledge of what the former president thought about such things, uh, where is the Biden administration going wrong? You know, it's, it's really worth stressing up front that the world is much more unstable than it was when President Trump was in office. There's no question about that from the disastrous withdrawal from Afghanistan to the growing threats from Who, I just heard him double down on this last week and insist that he did the right thing there, even even this long afterwards. I, on, on Afghanistan? Yes, uh, Biden did. Well, it, it's, you know, this is a man who made climate change the number one national security threat to the United States. His, his national security policies is incoherent. It's not just incompetent. And it doesn't surprise me that somehow Biden thinks his Afghanistan policy was a success. They're flailing. And when it comes to Iran, uh, we have a situation where Iran has made enormous gains in its nuclear program since January 2021, when Joe Biden came into office. Iran had never engaged to the 60% level in uranium enrichment until Biden became president. That's just a hair below weapons grade. It's made other advances in its nuclear program, which means it could make enough enriched uranium to fuel one bomb in about two weeks. Now that uranium would have to be further processed, but still they're far too close to a weapon. But when it comes to standing up to Iran, uh, it, it's clear that Iran has taken advantage of a power vacuum in the Middle East to advance its interests. But the problem is we have people like Mike Pence and Mike Pompeo who say, well, we have to stand up to Iran, so let's start bombing Iran. I'm worried about that approach. First of all, I want Congress involved if we cross a red line like that. Congressman Michael Walt said we need Congress to sign off to give some type of authorization for such a serious step. But what worries me is that Biden is incompetent of putting up some type of serious uh, uh, escalation like that to Iran. I think there'd be a wag the dog scenario where Biden might bomb something symbolic or sink an Iranian ship to, to sound like he, he, he's tough. We have to have a serious response to Iran. I don't think it's going to happen under, the, under this administration. We need a new president who will de be decisive, use military force prudently, but also use in a way that our enemies can't be sure what our president is going to do. No, I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, we're speaking with Fred Flights of the America First Policy Institute. Um, Iran obviously has um, 
funded the uh, work that the Houthis and Hamas and others in the region are uh, carrying out right now. Um, what is the likelihood that they will continue to behave as such, even through the election? Is it to their advantage to try to make hay while the sun shines, as my grandfather would say? Or are they, um, are they accelerating things now because they are afraid if Trump comes back into office, their days are numbered? I think American adversaries around the world are going to take advantage of this lack of leadership by an American president to, to advance their interests between now and next January. They're worried Trump will come back in and he'll be a president who they don't want to deal with, who, who, who may use military force if it's in America's interests and will use sanctions and other, other, other measures short of war uh, to, to protect our security. I heard some reports over the weekend that the Iranians have asked their proxies to, not, to stop attacking uh, American interests, American troops firing at ships in the Red Sea. I'm skeptical that that's true. Uh, I want to hear more details on it. I think Iran's proxies will keep attacking, keep undermining security as long as Biden is president. I, I don't think that um, it takes a brain surgeon to figure that part out. Um, but when we're talking about the weakness that the current administration has shown, there seems to be an area that I, I kind of keep running back into, and that is we kind of empowered them to do this through the blackmailing of our own energy policy by, by not pumping oil and natural gas and making it available for cheap prices to our European allies. We allowed uh, Putin in Russia and the mullahs in Iran to get quite rich off of an 80 plus dollar barrel per, per barrel of oil. Um, and when they get, when bad guys get rich, they do bad things. How, how tied to this um, current conflict and the instability that you cited at the top of the interview, how much of that is that uh, connected to energy policy? And could we begin to change that if we went in a different direction um, ASAP? It's pretty clear that uh, Russia has been greatly enriched by Biden's war on domestic energy production. It's created opportunities for other energy producers. And you know, this recent decision by Biden to, to freeze uh, LNG exports from the United States, that's not, not just helping other producers, that's convincing other nations that we're just not a reliable supplier of energy and to strike deals with other countries such as Russia and Qatar and Iran. I mean, that's bad for our economy. It's bad for global security. But I, I think a lot of this can be fixed with a new president who understands that we have to put the interests of the American people first. You know, when, when Biden came to office, he immediately started feuding with, with the Saudi royal family over the death of, 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 of Khashoggi, the, the uh the journalist. Uh, Washington Post Iranian journalist who was killed right. in, a, in a Turkish consulate. That was terrible. But President Trump read them the riot act over that. That was done. But to, to ruin our relationship with Saudi Arabia, our energy and security relationship, because uh, Biden wants to be a proxy for the Washington Post, was not in the interest of our country. Eventually, Biden had to back away from that. But the damage has been done. The Saudis think he's a fool. And you, we can see other nations like Russia and China they have come into the area. They're striking new relations with the Saudis because both nations see the U.S. as, as an unreliable ally and uh, it's something that they can exploit. This is a very tricky uh, area because uh, foreign policy does ride on 
sometimes very tender relationships being kept uh, afloat. Um, and I think that we saw just how much damage was done when he then went hat in hand to Saudi Arabia, begging for them to sell us oil, uh, and, and they refused to. We're speaking with Fred Flights of the America First Policy Institute and uh, former assistant to President Donald Trump. Coming right back from New York City. That Kevin Show, thatkevinshow.com, that Kevin Show on all social media, that Kevin Store, if you want one of the cool coffee mugs. We're going to give one of those away yet tonight before we're done. Uh, but I want to get to uh, some more discussion with Fred Flights of the America First Policy Institute. I love this uh, policy institute. They have added some definitively new viewpoints to the conversation that the think tank world has to offer, and mostly because they came from and around the Trump administration that focused on putting America first. And Fred, um, I was speaking on behalf of a congressional candidate in the in the New York area over the weekend, and I, I just asked the same question that the president asked uh, in the in the night the the speech he gave the night before the New Hampshire primary, which is why should the American people ever settle? for an American president who does not put America first. Isn't that like the the first rule of wanting to be president is that you think your country comes first and that the priorities that are ordered have to be ordered in that way for you to be considered doing a good job. Like if you want to do a terrible job, put China's interests first or Russia's interests first and we can fire you. Um, I think that's about to happen. I'm hoping so. But there seems to be this willingness on the left to uh, say, no, America should be last, they, they take it as a, as almost as a badge of honor. And when it comes to the welfare of our future policies, as particularly related to foreign policy and national security, I don't feel like we're being vigilant enough. What is your take on that? These are all great questions. And of course, the America first approach to national security is regularly smeared by the left as being isolationism, or America alone, and that's not true at all. First of all, America first means a strong and decisive president with, with a, a competent foreign policy, a president who's prepared to lead a strong military and use military force prudently and to not get us in unnecessary wars. He'll use military force, but not unless there is a real interest for the American people and the and American interests. And this president also will work with productively with allies like President Trump did, but he also will insist that these allies carry their own weight. What the left thinks is that the US should have foreign policy that's led by the United Nations and by Europe. And I remember so well when Biden went to Europe and the French president said, welcome back to the European club. That epitomizes what America first is not. We wanna work with our European allies, but we're not gonna let them to use their consensus and the United Nations as a constraint on American national security policy. They do not have a veto on what America has to do to protect its national security. Yeah. And I think that's a message the American people understand. Well, it's one that we have to make clear during this campaign because there's so much writing on it. 
You you also have some um, experience and knowledge in the area of national intelligence, and you've written recently, not long ago, about the troubles in some of our domestic agencies and some of our uh, spy agencies that are working to try to gather that intelligence. What are your biggest concerns uh, as we sit in 2024 looking forward for um, the DIA and the CIA and, and those that are charged with that task? Well, these agencies have to get back to the purpose they were created to serve, and that is to provide intelligence to the president to make national security decisions. They are not policy-making agencies. When, you know, intelligence is, according to people like uh, John Brennan and, and other former CIA directors, intelligence is not truth. Intelligence is a form of information. It might be truthful. We want it to be truthful. But if a president looks at intelligence analysis and decides it's wrong, he's gonna do something else. He hasn't done anything wrong Ill, or illegal. And we have to recognize intelligence is often wrong. It is frequently, maybe most of the time, it is opinion. Now, I think presidents should listen to that opinion, but not if intelligence is being slanted to, to promote left-wing and globalist agendas. And we know that went on during the Biden administration. John Ratcliffe wrote about a, an intelligence ombudsman assessment. In, he wrote about this in January 2021. And it talked about how analysis of Russia and China had been deliberately slanted in the run-up to the 2020 election mm. to not favor positions that would help Donald Trump. It overplayed analysis of Russia meddling and to try to ignore analysis of China meddling. When that happens, policymakers lose confidence in our intelligence community. The billions we spend on it is lost and future presidents won't listen when they have to, when the intelligence community wants to warn about a major threat to our security. No, that's, that's really well said. Well, it's gonna take, um some lessons learned from the first time, and it's going to need to be an administration full of friends to America first uh, to have those positions. We just lost too much time uh, in the in the um, <laughs> in the phonies <laughs> that were there. Um, but I think that AFPI is doing a fantastic job. Keep up the great work, and thanks for being with us. Good to be here. Thank you. You got it, Kevin McCullough. Coming right back from Times Square. Don't go away. Stick around for more of that, Kevin. Next. Show with Kevin McCullough. Here he is from New York, that Kevin, Kevin McCullough. Welcome back to the news desk in New York. Kevin McCullough, glad to have you with us. And Carol Markowitz, writer for the New York Post, podcast host for the Carol Markowitz Show, which you can get anywhere you get your podcasts, uh, and best-selling author of Stolen Youth, uh, a must-read in this election cycle. Uh, Carol Markowitz rejoins us. Carol, welcome. Good to see you. Hey, Kevin. Thanks for having me. In your last piece for the Post, you went pretty hard after what should happen to the migrants that um, are running rampant, creating havoc um, in places like Times Square uh, and elsewhere. Um, you, you're saying what I think a lot of Americans are thinking, but what is your opinion as to why the authorities aren't doing more to stop the actions? Well. The problem is that the authorities in places like New York are all Democrats. And 
even the ones that we think of as sort of more sane, like the mayor or even the governor, which I, you know, I don't necessarily agree with, but they get that reputation of being more moderate. Um, they still have the leftist base that they have to contend with. So they have this base that wants open borders. And, you know, when I say leftist base, people can, you know, think of like the anarchist, you know, types in the streets, the, the Antifa types. Sure, that exists. But Chuck Schumer wants to legalize everybody who's in the country illegally. Everybody, not like some portion, not the kids who were born here to, you know, parents who came here illegally, everybody. So when I say leftist base, I'm, I want people to think of somebody like Chuck Schumer, who doesn't want us to have any border, doesn't want us to have any laws in our immigration system. So the Kathy Hochul's and the Mayor Adams of the world have to deal with those people frequently. So what they face is they have to dance around what we would consider a really obvious solution, which is deporting immediately any criminals in who commit crimes here. I think that's so obvious. Um, you know, I visited Grand Cayman a number of years ago, and I remember, you know, talking to a waiter there, and it was like they were, we were discussing what, what their policies were on drug use. And he said any tourist caught using drugs on Grand Cayman is immediately driven to the airport and deported. They don't even want you in their prison system. They're like, you know what? We don't even need to arrest you. Let's just get you on your plane and get you out of here. <laughs> That's what we call swift justice. Um, and it's it's certainly not something that you see uh, in the states. And you talk about the divide between kind of the common sense Democrat and the, um, and the and the left. You know, Mayor Adams has taken it a little bit from the administration for saying that his city is full and he doesn't have any more room for people. Um, you're not but I just want to say about that, about Mayor Adams, he has been criticized by the administration, but I want to point out to your, to your listeners and your watchers that he never said, stop the border, you know, right. stop the border crossings, close the border. Let's do something about our border. No, what he's saying is I need more money. If you want me to continue this process where I just take in the migrants and feed them and clothe them and house them and everything. I need more money. So really, it's just a money push for him. It's not about doing the right thing policy-wise. And I hate that he gets credit for being the sane voice when he completely isn't. Well, he certainly didn't say anything for a long time. And in fact, doubled down on sanctuary status and other things. Um, but I think at some point, the headache does become a reality because there are so many people and he doesn't have any place left to put them. And when he when he tries to sneakily put them across the street from a Catholic private school on Staten Island, people find out about it and they go nuts. Um, yeah. So there is a there is a certain degree of accountability that's being held. But I want to I want to go back to this idea. You were talking about the the situation when you talked to that waiter in Grand Cayman, and we had worse than that. We had nine Venezuelan migrants literally beat the hooey out of um, two of NYPD's finest in mm -hmm. Times Square. And before you could get the paperwork done, they're back out, mm -hmm. not just on the street, mm -hmm. they're shooting the middle finger to the news cameras that are walking by saying, no speak English. Right. Uh, like there is such an arrogance mm -hmm. to the idea that not only that they're going to be here, but that they're not going to feel bad about anything that they do that's wrong. And Carol, Nine million people have come across this border, of which a good percent of them 
are these young men's ages and have, I would guess, a similar intent to what these young men are? Is there any concern in your thinking right now that we have a, a small military-sized group of people here that wish us harm? I'm deeply concerned about it. It's, in fact, I would say that the two things that I worry about um, politically right now is what's going on in Israel and what's going on at our border. And that's all I want to kind of write about and talk about because I think that th that those things are actually very connected. Um, Kurt Schlichter, I haven't read it yet, but he has a new book out where he, he describes a scenario that we all fear, which is terrorists coming across our borders, staging attacks on various soft targets, you know, places where people congregate, and what would happen to an America that allows this to happen. Uh, Glenn Reynolds from Instapundent covered this this week on his Substack, also an amazing read. Um, what, would, what would happen to us? What would happen to all of our institutions and neighborhoods, et cetera? I think all of this is so scary, and we need to take it so seriously. And I, I know that you know this, but just to remind your readers, I came to America as a refugee. I just want people to understand that what we have going on is not a refugee crisis. These are not refugees coming to our borders. I didn't have the option. Our family didn't just hop on a flight you know, from the Soviet Union and come to America. We were allowed into Italy, where we were allowed to apply for refugee status at a variety of countries, and the one that let you in is the one that let you in. It's not like, hi, here I am, take care of me. And the countries that did let us in, we would have to promise not to take public funds. We would have to promise that there would be somebody there to collect us and to make sure that we weren't a drain on the social safety net. Mm -hmm. What we have going on right now is a terrifying situation where we can't afford it. We can't afford to house and clothe and, and everything, every person in the world who wants to come to America. I'm sorry. And then the second part is we have no idea who's coming in. Those double middle finger giving migrants are now spread out throughout the country. We don't know where they are. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what they're doing. And you have a really scary situation where we have no control. Carol Markowitz, reader in the post, watch her, uh, listen to her on that uh, on the Carol Markowitz show. I started to say that Carol show. I, I just <laughs> can't get the, that thing out of my head. <laughs> That's right. And um, we'll talk to you again sometime soon. Thank you, Kevin. Stick around for more of That Kevin. Next, That Kevin Show with Kevin McCullough. Serving it up with a no-drink minimum. It's that Kevin show. Ladies and gentlemen, Justin Timberlake. So if I get jealous, I can't help it. I want every bit of you. I guess I'm selfish. It's bad for my mental, but I can't fight it when you're out looking like you do. But you can't hide it now. But you in a frame, oh baby, who could blame you? Got your mama. 